Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and work with those leaders to co-create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders in identifying solutions to disruptive trends and developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and into the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. With us on the show today are Trista Bridges and Donald Eubank. Our topic for today is leading sustainably, the path to sustainable business and how SDGs changed everything. Trista is a strategy and marketing expert with extensive expertise across various geographies and sectors, including consumer products, financial services, technology, and healthcare. As co-founder of Read the Air, she advises organizations on sustainability, providing them with insights and solutions needed to transition to sustainable business models. Donald is an experienced manager who's worked across the IT, finance, and media industries in Asia for the past 25 years. As a co-founder of Read the Air, he serves as an important advisor to businesses that are integrating sustainability into their core strategy, guiding their teams to lead sustainably and apply critical tools for managing their impact. Sustainability is now a business critical issue. Those companies and industries that don't embrace it will be left behind. In fact, we're already starting to see signs of this. Tristan and Donald joined the show today to discuss their new book, Leading Sustainably, The Path to Sustainable Business, and How SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals Created by the UN, Changed Everything, which is the culmination of 18 months of research from around the world. In their research, they found that bold leadership and innovation are two common elements that enable the success of sustainability strategies and actions. Trista and Donald, first of all, thank you for joining us, and you are joining me at five o'clock in the morning, your time. Yes, we're in Tokyo. Actually, it's six, so it's not that bad, but it's definitely morning here. (laughs) Happy to be here nonetheless. What do you want to tell our listeners about yourself and this initiative before we jump into the questions? What I would say is that, and I'll have Donald should, you know, certainly speak for himself too. You know, this is something that we came to after many, many years working, as you mentioned, across many industries, particularly in Japan, we were kind of struck how this topic started to accelerate after the SDG goals were announced or launched, I should say, in 2015. And we felt that businesses around the world were starting to see more challenge around this topic, whether it be from citizenship of countries, their customers, investors as well, were starting to see this as an important issue. And when we were looking at, you know, transitioning to working in this space and also writing this book, we really wanted to delve into why this was happening and what were the real drivers and what was kind of going on behind the surface. And also, where are companies now in terms of embracing sustainability? Donald, do you want to add any additional thoughts to that? So I think both of us in our own careers over the years have been thinking about, are there ways that things that could be done differently but for a long time, sustainability was kind of on the outsider. It wasn't, it wasn't a mainstream sort of concept that people were applying. But there was sort of a, a tipping point when Tristan and I met four years ago and started to discuss these issues. We recognized that, that here was a moment that had risen where 
it was becoming core to the business. So it was a, a chance to actually make a real change as sustainability went from something that's more of an outside function like CSR to part of the real decision-making the business is making today. And CSR being corporate sustainability? Uh, corporate social responsibility. And can we back up for some of our listeners, they probably don't know much about the SDGs. So can you give like the two or three minute primer on sustainable development goals? Really, the development of the SDGs goes back to a conference that the United Nations held in 1972 in Sweden about human development, where when the parties came together, they thought they were going to be talking about funding projects in Africa or South America or Southeast Asia, but really environmental issues came to the fore and a lot of issues around equity and sort of uh, inclusive decision-making. And that kind of set off this trajectory where the uh, United Nations started to, to switch from the peacekeeping mission to something that was looking more about humans' relationship with the environment and how society should be established. And over time, the UN started to develop frameworks where it could understand how it could better advance sort of the, the goals of the United Nations in terms of making society better. At the same time, the business world was starting to recognize that it couldn't continue to do business the way it had been, that it had to start to think outside of its own walls in terms of its touch points with society and the environment. And Kofi Onan in 2001 or so started to commission reports about how investors and businesses should be looking at environment and society. And that essentially led to something called the Millennial Development Goals, which were seven simple goals that were things like reducing poverty, increasing ed access to education. And they, they were relatively successful, but more importantly, they led to the development of the Sustainable Development Goals, which are 17 goals. They start with uh, zero poverty, zero hunger, good health and well-being, education, gender diversity, and then they go on down to issues about life on land, life underwater, peace, justice, and good institutions. And the last one is partnership for the goals. They have a, a due date, which is 2030. And then there's targets that makes them sort of more practical and real. And there's indicate indicators to show how you're advancing on those targets. And I would add just one small point that the Millennium Development Goals that Donald mentioned were really aimed more at the emerging market world. The Sustainable Development Goals are really broad and across multiple countries, both developing and developed. And this is an initiative by the UN. So it's a global yes. initiative. Great. Yes. And it was agreed at the time by, I think it was, a was it 180 countries, I believe, Donald? It's a consensus driven with all the members of the United Nations. Are companies making progress in integrating sustainability into their strategies and operations? Because if we're supposed to make significant progress by 2030, a decade is both a long time and no time at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what we saw when we spoke with organizations was, um, I think there's a couple of things. The, the SDGs are a helpful framework that many companies have been using to try to kind of just understand what's going on. I think the first step is within a, any company is, what are we doing well? What aren't we doing well? What do we need to fix? Some parts of the world embrace them more strongly than others, right? So you mm -hmm. see in Asia, for example, or in Europe, I'd say to a certain extent that, you know, it's really a helpful framework that they can use to think about sustainability. In the U.S., you see less of it, right, which may also have something to do with its relationship with the U.N. and how it sees the U.N. in general. But mm -hmm. I would say in terms of progress, you'd be hard pressed to find a company today that doesn't, for example, have a sustainability report 
which okay. is kind of step one, which is just reporting. You know, this is what's going on. This is how much water we're using. These are our emissions, et cetera, et cetera. So that was really step one. But now organizations are starting to say, okay, what's really material for my business? And that basically means what are the things that really are going to make a difference and move the needle for my company and also from the perspective of external stakeholders, which are usually customers. That's you know how companies think about it. And there's a lot of inherent risks and opportunities in that for companies. And so that's what companies are starting to see. And you're starting to see more and more organizations around the world. Like, for example, one of the companies we spoke with was Coca-Cola, and they're featured in the book. And they definitely see opportunity to grow and expand their business with, you know, sustainability. There are real uh, benefits, right? If you can develop a clear sustainability strategy vis-a-vis your competitor. And why? Because consumers are starting to say, for example, and customers are starting to say, look, you know, we want to support products and services that are more sustainable. We don't really believe that business is really doing what it should be in terms of its responsibility to society, where at the same time, we're also seeing governments who are kind of falling short, right? And I think around the world, we would say these problems in the past would have probably been handled by government. But what's happening is they're just not as effectual as they need to be in handling them, which means everybody kind of has to step up. So there's a lot of pressure on companies now to do more. And so we're definitely seeing some real positive actions. We can talk about them later. There's definitely laggards and we're not there yet. Mm. And to your point, hitting the goals in 2030 is going to be very difficult to do, right? But I think we are starting to see acceleration in terms of action and some positive signs that a lot of companies are starting to say, okay, we need to be doing more and we need to be moving more quickly. I do find it interesting that companies are making significantly more progress in some cases than the governments where they are headquartered. Well, we, we found a really interesting example of that, uh, which is a company called Rangen Cells, which is a Swedish family-owned waste management company. And they're okay. kind of across Northwest Europe. And they uh, discovered that they could recover phosphorus from the industrial waste that they were collecting and then incinerating. Phosphorus is really important for use in agriculture. But the German laws do not allow them to put this phosphorus back into the agricultural industry. So they had to actually consult with the government to get the government to change policy. So sometimes the issues with the government is that the government hasn't understood well enough sustainability to make the policy that's necessary for businesses to be actually to, to advance on it. But also the incentives for government to take action are quite different than business. Businesses are responsive to their customers and their consumers, whereas politicians are working more on an electric cycle. And so sometimes their vision is unfortunately not as long-term as it should be. Well, and this is also where boards come in and they can take a longer Mm -hmm. view and in many cases do. Absolutely. And we actually are working around, starting some thinking around that topic of sustainability on boards, because it is a space where I think more work needs to be done. So if you look at kind of the board level, there's been a lot of initiatives around the world around gender diversity on boards and racial diversity on boards. And that's been a really positive development. This is an area where we don't yet have a lot of expertise on, at the board level, and we mm-hmm. really need it. So one of the things that we, um, you know, kind of just looking at what's going on with companies around the world, there's a company called Keering, which a lot of people on the call may know. It's like the second biggest fashion house in the world behind LVMH. And they just appointed the actress Emma Watson, who has been a longtime act- environmental activist, actually, and has been an advocate for sustainable business as the kind of sustainable 
liaison right, for the board at the board level. And I thought that was an interesting development. And, and I wonder if we'll start to see more businesses designating a member of the board as the one to kind of be the savvy one on the board to kind of teach the rest of the board. Because the problem is that, you know, when a board is looking at different, you know, the direction, trajectory of a company or the products they might do, they have to be looking with this lens as well. Mm -hmm. uh, because if they don't, then it's not really a priority, right? So we can say all we want that it's important for our business, but if it's not really in the, the objectives of the company over the five next five or 10 years, then it's going to kind of be deprioritized, if you will, not be resourced properly. Yeah. Just like anything else, if it is with, if diversity is owned by the diversity champion, if sustainability is owned by the sustainability champion rather than the board and the, the senior team, it's unlikely to achieve the results that any of us are hoping that it does. Absolutely. Yeah. I could go back you know, to talk about this, uh, this idea of progress. In the book, we actually have five steps that we've identified that businesses go through. The first one is just having a base level understanding. The second is C-level engagement and initial choices. So you need to have the CEO on board, otherwise you don't go anywhere. And then the third is taking actions and having first wins. The fourth is getting cross-organization priority setting and buy-in. And, and the fifth is alignment and process integration. The majority of companies that are out there are probably somewhere at step two or step three. We saw very few that were at four or even at five. But as you described, the sustainability function doesn't sit within a department or a role if you're going to make progress. It has to go across the full organization. I appreciate sharing the steps and hopefully our listeners will also get your book so that they can understand how to put this into practice. While it's cool to listen to you, and certainly our hope is that we take it beyond this is interesting to we're actually doing it in our company. So what are some of the biggest problems companies are facing when integrating sustainability into their organizations? Well, I think the first one, which you've mentioned, is probably where it sits. <laughs> so one of the things that we saw was that, you know, usually this sits within the sustainability function, if there is one, and it's not usually in the past, it would have been CS called CSR. Now it's called the sustainability uh, function. And that team is tiny in most companies. I think the most mm -hmm. in terms of numbers of people that we saw was 25, I think, in a global organization. And that organization had about 150,000 to 200,000 employees. So you have to ask yourself if you, if you, you know, know anything about as many people I'm sure listening today know about transformation within organizations, you mm -hmm. must have more people working on a problem than 25 people. <laughs> so if we look at digitalization... <laughs> Digitalization and the amount of money and resources that have gone into that in companies over the last 20, 25 years, it's massive, really. And there's still more work to be done, but it's a serious thing for companies and they invested in it accordingly. This is something that doesn't get that same level of investment. And that's a huge problem. Why? Because when a company has a problem, when a difficult time, they go through a difficult period, whether it be by a COVID or a financial crisis, certain things get cut first. <laughs> And sometimes these are the types of things that cut, cut, cut for us. That being said, we did some surveys back earlier in the year after the pandemic started. And many of the companies that we did research in this particular survey said they were going to stay the course, right? They weren't mm -hmm. going to pull back, which, is, which I think is, shows that we're in a different mindset and period of, and period of time than we might have been before. But, you know, the resourcing is, is a huge issue. Another thing is it's not really integrated into business processes. So one of the problems we saw was 
companies basically they identify what are their projects going to be like the key projects you know for the next year or two or three or four or five years and usually when we do that we think about business opportunity we think about what our customers want to need we think about what does our investment need to be but sustainability is not really a part of that process and what a lot of companies do is they have somebody the sustainable chief sustainability officer who kind of comes in later in the process and says, oh, does this have any negative impacts? Are we going to be violating any laws? Are we going to? And that's a, that's a real issue, right? Because how many companies, when they're at the end of the process, say, okay, we're just going to scrap the project. That just generally does not happen. <laughs> so we always advocate, as we advocate in the book, that when you think about business processes, it need, there need to be frameworks and ways to integrate it in the decision process from the beginning so that it can be embedded in how we operate uh, more generally. So not unlike I, yeah. decades ago, I worked in the total quality management area and you either oh, yeah. build quality in or you inspect it in at the end and yes. then fix it. And the yes. cost of inspecting and fixing is much higher than building the processes that integrate quality into how they, they are being performed. I'm assuming that is the same with sustainability. Absolutely. Yeah. So really, when we went into uh, to talk to companies for the book and and as clients, we thought that we would be talking to them about strategies that they would be putting in place using sustainability concepts. But we we realized that they were having a really difficult time moving beyond sort of a vision setting stage to a action stage because they lack the knowledge. And part of that is because the teams that they have within those sustainability departments, they're focused on things like disclosure and reporting opposed to actually taking a functional role within the business. So it sounds like not only are there not enough resources, but they may also not have the, the correct people on the teams to actually build out these processes the way they're intended. Absolutely. And also you find a lot of people in sustainability who come from public policy, right? You find a lot of people who come to sustainability in communications. And whilst these are important things, these are not business operational type functions, right? So we need more people in this sector who are working in these roles also who are people who've been in strategy who or who have been running divisions or, or running business units or, you know, people who have more operational type and goal setting type experience because they're the ones who are going to be able to also influence their peers <laughs> and other parts of the business as well. So getting the right mix of people sounds foundational, and as we come to the end of this segment, Donald, do you have anything you want to share as well to wrap up this kind of stage setting for what are the SDGs, what is sustainability, what are some of the challenges that you want to share with our listeners? Trista, what else could we add? One of the things that I think companies still struggle with as well is the business case for sustainability. And I think that's something that businesses basically need more guidance around. And I think there's a responsibility of people in kind of the advisory world, the people who are experts to help with that, right? Because if you don't believe in the business case for this, then you're just simply not going to do it. And there's an emerging business case for it, right? We're starting to see, as you said at the intro, companies performing better 
who are really kind of embracing this. So if you look at companies like Danone is a wonderful example. There's many, many companies out there that we could we could certainly talk about. We're starting to see these companies perform better. So I think, you know, businesses really need to start with thinking around the business case and getting guidance for, you know, for their particular business, for their particular industry. What is the business case for, for doing this? That's an important thing to understand first. So when we come back, we're going to talk about then what are some of those companies and what are the frameworks that help you implement sustainability? Yeah. To add on about, you know, the business case, the other side of that is what are the pressures that are forcing companies to do this, which you mentioned at the start. And two of the most obvious are that consumer and customer behavior is changing as well as investors have a very different understanding of how they want to deal with risk because they're thinking more about societal and environmental issues. And hence you have the rise of the ESG investing movement, the environment, society, and governance movement. But there's eight other things that we think are really pushing companies to do this. One is related to changing consumer behavior is growth, that there's opportunities within the sustainability space to create new products. And one thing that we saw was from NYU Stern, 50% of market growth in a study that they did of fast-moving consumer goods came from just 16% of the CBG market of products that were marketing themselves as sustainable. Now, how sustainable they really are, we don't know, but customers were willing to buy products that were marketed as sustainable at a higher rate and sometimes willing to pay more money. So there's growth opportunities there, as well as that There's regulations that might be coming. If you look at carbon emissions trading systems, businesses are going to have to prepare for that. They're going to need to avoid risk from climate change and sort of societal unrest that we see. And then internally, they need to look at sometimes their employees are pushing them to do this. If you look at the example of Amazon, there's a big movement within Amazon for the business to deal more with societal environmental issues. New opportunities, again, sort of matches with growth. And then sometimes new leadership comes into businesses and and just takes them a different direction. So companies need to adjust to that as well. Great. I encourage our listeners to think about, do you have a business case for sustainability in your organization? And how is that propelling you forward? And if you don't have a business case, how is that hindering your success? We are recording with the International Leadership Association Conference. We're talking about leading sustainably, the path to sustainable business and how the SDGs changed everything. And our guests are Trista Bridges and Donald Eubanks. You, Trista, mentioned some companies that are doing this really well. So we know that leadership, particularly from the C-suite level, is part of driving change within organizations. Can you give us some examples of CEOs and their businesses that are particularly strong on building sustainable business? I want to give just two examples, medium to large company and one from a global multinational. So the first one, which we actually look at in the book in what we call mission-driven companies, and these are companies that we consider have been built as sustainable from the start. Okay. And one of the companies, which was one of the greatest examples is a company called Keen, which you may know is a footwear company and very, 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 very popular in the U.S., expanding around the world. They actually started, I believe, in the late 90s. And they have a really interesting story as they were starting to kind of get a lot of traction. Right. They uh, were going to do a huge ad campaign. And 
just when they were getting ready to launch that ad campaign, the tsunami in 2004 happened. And so what they decided to do is instead of doing that ad campaign, they deployed all of their money towards relief, okay, towards relief of the people in the affected regions of the world from this disaster. And why is this interesting? Because it kind of set them on this course that kind of permeated everything they did from that point in time. And we kind of talk about that extensively in the book. So what did they do after that? They didn't really see sustainability as something that kind of sat on the side, as we mentioned. They saw it as something they had to integrate in every aspect of their business. So that meant the pro- at the product level, right? So they really worked very hard to make sure that their shoes are made sustainably. And that's from the leather that they use to how it's designed. It's designed to last to the protectant that they use on the shoe. So they, for example, they've spent a lot of time innovating around having kind of a biologically based sealant for their shoe, as opposed to something that's more chemically based that could have harmed the environment. They also, which is very interesting, is they also work to improve in their industry certification of contract manufacturers. As we know, in the apparel and retail um, industries, one of the biggest challenges is understanding where and how the products are made that you carry, right? So if you're in a store, many people who run retail don't understand necessarily where those products come from. The actual producer of the products are working with contract manufacturers to produce their products. So they may be doing things, even if they're trying to operate sustainably, they may be doing things that are not. So there's a certification called the Higg Index, which was actually started by, you know, interestingly, Patagonia and Walmart to really work on certifying contract manufacturers around the world. And what they do is they actually work with their contract manufacturers to try to help them get certified and to change how they operate, which is it's a really important thing to do. But they also maintain a lot of their production in-house. So they have, I think they have about 54% of their production, which is in-house. The rest is basically produced through contract manufacturers. And why is this important? Because they have a model for learning. So they can kind of test operational manufacturing approaches that are more sustainable within their own operations. And then they can work with their contract manufacturers to help them become more sustainable. So that was really interesting. And then the last thing I'll say is, in their hiring of employees, they look for people who care about this. They look for people who want to dedicate their life in some capacity to building more of a sustainable way of operating and working. So they encourage their employees too to be active, to be politically active, for example, to call their congressmen. They're very engaged in conservation efforts. And that's something that's also quite rare for companies, right? We, we especially in the US, we tend to kind of very much separate these two worlds, the political world and the business world. And they don't really have that view. Right. And I think that's a really interesting thing. And then the second company I'll talk about briefly is Danone, which you may know is the dairy and water company. And they're really emerging as one of the key leaders in embracing what we call the B corporation model. And this is really at the moment kind of emerging as the best framework or structure for certifying or validating. So they started actually in the U.S. making their U.S. operations a B corporation. And that was one of the earliest ones that they got the certification for. But they're moving around the world now. Japan actually just became a certified B Corp. So I heard the CEO speaking on a podcast recently, and he said that there's many CEOs contacting him confidentially, of course, and asking, should we be doing this too? And so they are really emerging as a leader in their sector in the CPG space around this particular topic. 
It really helps to hear concrete examples and especially how sustainability is built into the processes that build the shoes, like how they're treated. And the other that the employees are engaged and more productive because they are committed to the cause of sustainability. So I was talking to a client today about how can he engage his people and have them feel committed to the organization, which happens to be about curing cancer. You would think it would be a highly engaged organization. And yet it is still the role of the leader to continue to create the conditions where people feel motivated by the really important work they're doing. Yes, absolutely. So let's now shift to the conversation of frameworks. What are some of the frameworks that CEOs and other leaders can use to move their organizations toward a more sustainable business model? There's a whole host of of frameworks out there, some older and some newer, and many of them are becoming harmonized. But it starts with uh, GRI, which is the Global Reporting Initiative, and GHG Protocol, which is for measuring your carbon footprint. GRI helps you to look at the basic things like what's your employee turnover, what's your employee safety, what's your water usage and your wastewater, uh, what's your energy usage. And we, we think that's kind of become a baseline. But then there's more interesting things coming out there like uh, SASB, which is the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board. And they take a concept of materiality and try to look at what would an investor want to know about your business before they decided to invest in you? But that's from a sustainable perspective. And they have a system online that you can use for free that actually looks at, I think, 15 different industries and different sectors within those industries, and then has a sort of checklist of different existing government or GRI or GHG or other framework metrics and indicators that you can use to measure your performance on these different materiality dimensions. And then at at the higher level, you have the SDGs, which have this whole wealth of indicators and targets that you can look at your performance on as a business. Now, those are defined more for a national government, but there's also people who are translating them into a business context as well. And on that point, just very quickly, there's the UN Global Compact, which is focused on business specifically. So they've been doing a lot of work with a lot of companies around the world, including many American companies as well, to kind of make this more user-friendly for businesses, because that's really important as well, right? So if you get a particular goal, you get a particular target, if it's not translated in business speak and in a way that's relevant for businesses, it's almost useless. So they've been doing a lot of work around that, particularly at the industry level. Yeah, that does seem really important because I've heard of examples of organizations like Puma that are a zero waste or other organizations that are doing great work. And it just seems like there's a gap between those who have made so much progress and the rest of us. For businesses that are committed to or thinking about becoming fully sustainable or moving the ball forward from wherever they are, what tips can you provide on how to accelerate the progress? Very important subject. So I think the first point, and Donald mentioned this earlier, is the knowledge building piece. So we get in a situation sometimes where we tend to put the cart before the horse. And I really do encourage people to take this. It's almost like I worked, as as you know, a long time in the marketing field. And never would you have somebody be a brand manager without having studied or understood marketing. 
You know, that just never happens. So I think this is the same. I think organizations that are really starting from zero or close to zero have to get educated first. And there's just resources and tools out there now. You can do it yourself. You can bring people in to help you. But I think that that is really the first piece. Then I think there needs to be some board level decisions made. I think if they're made too low in the organization in terms of, you know, we're going to start with this particular sustainable product. That's something that you see a lot of companies do. They'll say, okay, we're going to have a sustainable business line or part of our product portfolio. Sometimes that doesn't get more generalized because it's not a part of the overall objectives of the organization. So I think this is something that needs to go to the board and CEO level first. There needs to be alignment and buy-in at that level first, and then it needs to be pushed down into the organization. I think also uh, one thing that's really important is having KPIs in place, as we would for many other sectors. And I think organizations can look at others in their industry. That's I, I would certainly encourage them to do that, the ones who are the leaders, who are the most active, and to see what they've done. What are the KPIs that they use to measure progress? Because I think the challenge around this, too, is it's not just a financial target that we're measuring, right? We're not just looking at what's happening with our market share, what's happening with our with our EBITDA, or what's happening with the growth of our top line. It, we have to look at what is our environmental and social impact, right? So there's a lot of really good frameworks. We, we, go, we delve into them in the book that are starting to look at this more closely to understand the concept of impact. How do we measure impact? And there's many that are out there. Uh, one that's really very good is called the Impact Management Project. And it was a framework that was developed across, particularly in the financial services world, across many different organizations that came together to develop this framework. And it's very good for looking at, you know, what are my positive impacts as a business on the environment and society and negative impacts. And this is really important for organizations to understand, but the tools and frameworks are out there to do that. So I think that, you know, in addition to KPIs, you know, it's important to make sure we have things that are measurable and that we lean on some of these frameworks that exist to to do that. Great, thank you. Uh, To your point, it is hard to get excited about an initiative if we don't know how we're doing and why it matters. Or I may think sustainability matters, but if I don't know that the steps I'm taking actually are producing an impact, back to the point we started the conversation with, it's hard to, when things get tough, it's hard to keep the focus on them if it's not at the board level and if it's not measurable. I think it's important to note as well that this concept of impact is going to become much more mainstream. It's going to become the next sort of ESG because it's another one that started in the investing world. Investors are looking at how they place capital, not simply to avoid risks, but to actually have an intentional positive outcome. But it's being taken up by... NGOs and governments as well to start to look into businesses. We have an example of AXA, the French insurance company, one of the top three insurance companies in the world, where they've created an internal impact fund. And now when they're looking to invest from their own fund with their own capital, they want to look at what a business is doing in terms of the products it's selling into the market and the R&D that it's doing. So they want to see more about these core activities. And there's people who are supporting them by creating systems that measure that impact that a business has. So I I think that if someone is actually fairly advanced in their sustainability journey as a business, they should start looking at this impact concept very closely. Now, is that something you can build in early on? Like you're talking about building processes that are Mm. 
beginning to end sustainability focused or sustainably focused, can you build impact into the, the metrics for the processes? Well, I think as a, as a stance or a position with the mission-driven companies that Trista was describing, like Keen you know, or B Corps, those kinds of businesses that are founded as essentially sustainable businesses from the start are going to inherently be having positive impact mm -hmm. when they're producing products or services for the market. If you're a legacy company that's trying to make a transformation, then your shift from one side to the other will hopefully, again, put you in a place where you're going to be creating products that are inherently having a positive impact. You could use frameworks, I think, to help you to understand whether or not the products that you're making are going to be beneficial to society or the environment. But mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's almost, it's more just the, simply the, the philosophy that you have as a business. Another one in, in terms of leadership was uh, DSM and the former CEO, I think he just stepped down uh, this month, Fike Sabisme. He went to a World Food Program event more than 10 years ago, and he, he saw the issues that they were talking about. And DSM is a nutrient and vitamins company as well as it's a chemicals mm -hmm. business sort of before that and still. And, and a long time ago, it was a coal company. They've gone through a number of transitions in its, uh, I think, 120-year history. But he recognized that he had to shift the direction that the business was going. And he's really achieved there one of the few businesses that we saw that was at that stage five that we mentioned, where the, the whole concept of sustainability is it's within the processes and the systems. So for them, he sent out a message that we're going to take this shift. And then he kind of identified people who put up their hands and said, I understand what you're doing and I want to help you do it. So there's self-selectors out there. But then he used this network within the company he created to make sure that every division was contributing to goals that they assigned themselves. And if a business is not contributing 65% of their activities to becoming more sustainable, the business gets spun out. Hmm. And then there's KPIs on a division level and on a role level so that everyone is being directed to become more sustainable as a organization. And the reason why I mention this in this context is because a business like that, they know that they will be having a positive impact because they've aligned themselves in a certain direction and they've used these frameworks to help them get, get there. Beautiful. I think it's really helpful for us to have examples so we can imagine what that journey may look like. As we wrap up, leaders need to see sustainable business practices as important to the organization's success as they do other initiatives. Like any big change effort, embracing a sustainable business model requires bold leadership, board level all the way down, clear systemic change processes, and ongoing alignment. So bold action is best, but it's important that companies get going, even if their actions are small at first, if they're piloting, they build success, they build the business case, they understand their impact, and then they continue to grow. So would you remind our listeners the name of your book and how they can get a hold of you and learn more? The name of the book is Leading Sustainably, The Path to Sustainable Business and How the SDGs Changed Everything. It is available on Amazon as well as other sources. And you can always get in contact with us if you go to readtheair.jp and also on LinkedIn. Beautiful. Remind us of your names so people will know who to contact on LinkedIn. Sure. I'm Trista Bridges. Okay. And I've said yeah, it improperly before I said it with an S. So Donald Eubank. Yeah, there's just one. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for all of the important work you're doing in the world and for sharing it with our listeners. And to our listeners, I do encourage you to pick up the book, learn about the frameworks, look at the examples and begin your sustainability journey. As we said, whether it's a bold first step or a small first step, all of us share this planet and the impact we make today is the legacy we leave for our children. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. If you liked what you heard, please join us again and like us on one of the platforms you listen to and share it with others. We hope that the information that we share with you sparks your passion for sustainability and your direct action. Thank you for the impact you make in your world.